Let's take our Bibles tonight and let's open up to a book that starts with the letters J-U-D. In the New Testament, have you got it yet? Book of Jude. The book of Jude. Yes, we've been studying Judges in the Old Testament, but we're going to take a pause from that uh, for tonight and we're going to look at a a verse of Scripture from the New Testament book of Jude. Jude is just one chapter. So if you're wondering which chapter, yes, turn to that one. It's that little tiny book right before the book of Revelation. Once you find the book of Jude, I've got a small project that I would like for you to take about 60 seconds to help me out with. If you've got a pen and a piece of paper... I want you to take just a few moments here and I want you to pick someone sitting near you and write down three words, three single words, that best describes that person. All right? Three single words that best describes that person. Complete with theme music, right? All right, now, is anybody brave enough to volunteer to share with us what you wrote so we can guess who you might have written it about? Anybody brave enough? All right, Brother, Brother Jerry, what were your three descriptors? Faithful, Faithful loyal, and giving. Those are good. And I'm going to guess you probably wrote those about your wife. No? All right, then I don't want to know. <laughs> All right, good. Those are good. Somebody else willing to volunteer to tell us what they wrote? You don't have to tell us who you wrote it about. All right, Miss Sylvie. Caring, loyal, and encouraging. I like that. All right, Dr. Allman? God-honoring, kind, and giving. Very good. Let's, see, let's get two more. Two more. Anybody else? Two other people willing to share what they wrote? Brother Stephan. Strength, fortitude, and loyalty. Strength, fortitude, and loyalty. I like that. Yes, and Miss Shauna. <laughs> Loving, kind mama bear. All right. Very good. Now, as you are sitting there trying to write just three words that describe someone, you probably found it a little bit challenging. To how, how do you describe a person in just three words? But at the same time, you can highlight some of their most prominent characteristics, right? And, and that's what y'all have done tonight. I've heard you do that just, uh, just now in talking about the people around you. Well, in the book of Jude, we find uh, a letter that was written by uh, Jude, the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to believers. And he begins in verse number one with a threefold description of, of who Christians are. 
It says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Here, he opens up this epistle with a, a general description of Christians highlighting three things that are characteristic of every single Christian. Christians are sanctified, Christians are preserved, and Christians are called. Now what's very important for us to understand, because we're going to take some time to, to think about and to learn what these specific descriptions mean, but it's important from the beginning to understand that these are not things that are presented as ideals. In other words, this is what a Christian should strive to be, but instead, this is what a Christian is. By our very nature, by our very definition, as followers of Christ, we are sanctified, we are preserved, and we are called. Now, it is true that we are these things, but it is also true that we don't always act like it. That there are times where our behavior does not match who we really are. And so as we study this tonight, not only do we want to get a better understanding of who God says we is, we is, we are. Grammar am not my best thing, right? Okay. We don't only want to get a better understanding of, of who God says we are, but rather we also want to understand how that should affect the way that we live. So let's examine these three characteristics of a Christian to see who we are so we can be sure that we act like we ought. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us tonight as we study your word. Help us to learn from it the truth about what you say and we are. Help it to be an encouragement to us in times where we may be tempted to doubt, but also when we are tempted to sin. That knowing these things would help us to resist that temptation and to be true to who we really are in Christ. So again, Lord, I pray that you would teach us what we need to know and change us how we need to be changed to be more like Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First of all, in Jude, in opening this epistle to the believers, says that he was writing to them that are sanctified by God the Father. So the first description of a Christian here is that a Christian is sanctified. A Christian is sanctified. So let's consider for a moment the definition of being sanctified. What exactly does that mean? And the word in our Bibles that's translated sanctified is the, from the same root word in the original that we get the word holy from. And it literally means to be made holy, to be set apart from sin to God. So in other words, according to the Bible, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have believed in the gospel, then God has made you holy. He has sanctified you. He has set you apart. In other places in the New Testament, you find that the writers in addressing believers frequently referred to them as saints. 
And it is the same exact word that is in some places translated holy or in other places translated sanctified that in its noun form refers to people who are saints, holy ones, sanctified ones. Now I know that the Catholic Church and other religions have an idea of saints, that a saint is a person who achieves some sort of uh, you know, super spiritual status. And because they did great things and because they were so religious and so spiritual, they have been elevated in rank, if you will, above all other common Christians. And so you have a class of Christians called saints, and then you just have all the other Christians. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that all believers are sanctified. They are set apart, made holy. They are saints. Paul said in Romans 1.7, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. In 1 Corinthians 1.2, He said unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. In Ephesians 1 and verse 1, in Philippians 1 and verse 1, in Colossians 1 and verse 2, believers in every place there are called saints. And then here also in the book of Jude, verse number 3, he said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints." All believers are sanctified by God. So the definition, we're made holy, we're set apart from sin to God. But how does that happen? Jude makes it clear when he says that we are sanctified by God the Father. This is another very important distinction when it comes to sanctification in general. No one can sanctify themselves. We are all sinners. We are born sinners, and we choose to sin. And because we are sinners, there is nothing that we can do to sanctify, to make ourselves holy. You know, the Bible says that even all of our righteousnesses are in God's eyes as filthy rags. In order for us to be sanctified, God has to do it to us. Sanctification is something that God does to us and in us. It is not something that we accomplish in ourselves or for ourselves. Romans 15, 16 says that we are sanctified by the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints. Turn with me over to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Here's a passage of scripture that's very, very instructive when it comes to this idea of sanctification. Because it talks about what we were before salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And look with me at verse number 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now verses 9 and 10 gives us a worst of the worst list of humanity. 
a description of what sinful man is like. And a description of what everyone who does not have Christ as their Savior is capable of, even if they are not yet guilty of it. But look at verse number 11. And such were some of you. Oh, I'm so thankful that's in the past tense. I'm so thankful that this is describing what we used to be before salvation. It goes on to say, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Sanctification is something that is done to us by God. It is not something that we do to ourselves. Well, some might ask, well, what about practical sanctification? You know, the Bible says that when we trust Christ, we are declared holy. But that begins a process in our lives in which we learn to act more holy day by day. That process of becoming more like Christ, growing in Christ's likeness, that, that really defines what the Christian life is. Some people say that we are saved by grace through faith, but we are sanctified by works. That's not true. In fact, Galatians is very clear that we are sanctified the same way we are saved, by grace through faith. Of course, it requires obedience on our part, but that obedience is by grace through faith. It is not a work of our own that we somehow merit uh, the declaration of God that we are now made holy. It is only through the holiness of Christ that we are able to even grow in sanctification. We are not sanctified by our works. We are sanctified. We are made holy by God Himself. In our standing before God, we are holy ones. We are sanctified. And through God's working in our life, we behave more and more sanctified as we grow in our Christian life. So what does this mean practically for us? If God has declared us to be sanctified, what, should, what difference should that make in our life? Very simply put, we should act sanctified. Since we have been set apart from sin to God, since God has declared us to be holy, we should stay away from sin and stick close to God. 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 3 and 4 says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. That's God's will for your life. That you abstain from things that are evil and are unrighteous, and that you possess your vessel, that is your person, your body, in sanctification. 2 Timothy 2.21, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's youth. All of these talk about the idea that since we are declared to be saints and to be sanctified, we should avoid sin. The doctrine of grace should never be used as an excuse to indulge the sinful desires of our flesh. As Jude will call it in verse number 3, it is turning the grace of God into lasciviousness when you do that. But rather, the declaration of God that you are holy should compel us to live holy lives. I remember years ago I was um, 
a youth pastor in a small church in uh, Gastonia, North Carolina. We had a, a man that had been visiting the church and I had gone out in a follow-up visit with him and kind of had built a rapport with him over the course of some weeks. And, and uh, he, was, he was living in um, kind of a rehab type facility, uh, if you can imagine, a, kind of a group home for people that are trying to get back on their feet. And the man had a lot of troubles in his life, a lot of, a lot of baggage, you might call it. And I was visiting with him one day, and, and, uh, and he was just kind of sharing with me some of the struggles that he was having spiritually, some of the sins that he had been uh, habitually committing. And, and in the process of this conversation, he just made the offhanded comment. He said, well, you know, I'm no saint. And I stopped him right there, and I said, now wait just a second. I said, do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose again? He said, well, sure. I said, well, then you need to understand that God says you are a saint. You are sanctified. You are set apart from sin to God. Now, what you're telling me is you're not acting like it. And I agree with you. Doing what you're doing, you're not acting like it. But when you're doing these things, you're not being what God has declared you to be. You're not acting like who you are. In Christ. A Christian is sanctified by God the Father. But then secondly, the second description of a Christian here, it says that they are preserved. They are preserved. That's an interesting word. What does it mean? The definition of the word in the original is to attend to carefully or to take care of. Metaphorically, it means to keep to keep one in the state in which he is. And so it's not unlike the idea that we think of today when we think of preserving something. Every time you go to the store and uh, you buy a jar of jelly, you're getting something that's been preserved. When you buy canned vegetables, that's something that's been preserved. Many of the meats that we buy have been preserved in some way. There's all different ways of preserving stuff. You go to the freezer section and it's food that has been preserved. And I'm so thankful that Briar's ice cream falls in that category. It's to keep something in the state that it is in, and the implied there is it's in a good state. It's in the state you want it to be in, you want to keep it there. It is being preserved. Now, what does it mean to say that you and I are preserved by Christ Jesus? Is this referring to our physical life? Certainly not. You know, it would be nice if we could find that, uh, that mythical fountain of youth and we could stop the aging process and we could preserve our health and our youth and our strength and our energy. But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about our spiritual preservation. It means that we are kept in the state of being saved by Christ Jesus. In other words, it's saying that God keeps us saved. 1 Peter 1 and verse number 5 says, Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This of then has to do with the doctrine of eternal security. That is the doctrine that when you are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved for eternity. You cannot lose it. You cannot misplace it. You cannot give it back. You cannot forfeit it. 
Jesus said in John chapter 10 that those that he gives eternal life to shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand, Jesus said. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So what he's talking about here when he says we are preserved in Christ Jesus, he's talking about how we are kept saved by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's an important distinction. Just like with sanctification, we are not sanctified by ourselves. So it is with the preservation of our souls. We do not keep ourselves saved in our own strength and through our own works, but we are kept saved by God himself. We are kept by the power of God. If we are not saved by works, why would we think that we could be unsaved by works? You see, our salvation does not rest in our ability to maintain ourselves and our souls. Our salvation rests in the omnipotent power of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. If we could keep ourselves saved, then we would be able to brag about it. Just like Ephesians chapter 2 says that not of works lest any man should boast. Often we think of that in context of salvation. That if you could earn your salvation, then when you get to heaven, you could brag about how you saved yourself. Well, the same thing applies to our eternal security. If we could keep ourselves saved, then we could get to heaven and we could brag about how we kept ourselves saved. Those poor souls who just couldn't manage, but we could. That doesn't sound like a very good heaven to be a part of. Around a whole bunch of people bragging on themselves. No, it is, it is, it is God who keeps us safe. God is the one who preserves us. Look here in the book of Jude down at the end of this, this little epistle. There's another verse. Verse 24, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless, before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. God is too holy that for sin to dwell in His presence. Nothing that defiles can enter into heaven. So in order to get into heaven, you have to enter in in a state of perfection. Now if it were up to you and I, could we ever do that? Could we ever achieve that state? Well, let's think about the idea of perfection. What does it mean to be perfect? It means to be absolutely flawless. No errors, no mistakes, no shortcomings. And see, all of us have already missed that mark. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore, we are already hopeless to save ourselves because we are not able to present ourselves faultless before God. But you know who is able? God is. God is able to present us to Himself faultless. That's what Jude says in verse number 24. That is accomplished through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that atones for all of our sin. So that when the blood of Christ is applied to us, God sees us as a sinless one. Remember, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, Jesus took our sin and in its place He gave us His righteousness. 
We are made faultless by the Lord Jesus Christ. You are saved, and if you, if you are saved, then you will be saved for all of eternity. You are preserved by God. I remember, it's been many years ago now, probably not too long after our family started gardening and preserving and doing a lot of things, and, and uh, we had made some vegetable soup. Remember this, Lane? And uh, we made some big half-gallon jars of vegetable soup that we wanted to preserve and put up. And so we had done what we thought was necessary to preserve this soup, and we had put it in a cabinet uh, kind of in the back there just to store away and, and uh, keep it in an area where it wouldn't uh, be tampered with. And it wasn't too long later that we began to smell a kind of odd smell. And we got to looking around and we got to digging through the cabinets and we opened up the cabinets and there was this puddle of ill. We're like, where did this come from? And we, we, we moved to the stuff and we pulled out and there were these jars that the seals had broken on them and that vegetable soup had started to ferment. Now, Brother Boynton, I didn't know what kimchi was at the, at the time or else I would have just said it's kimchi, but anyway. No, they had gone bad. Uh, and so, you know what? We had to throw it away. That was a failure to preserve something. And I am so thankful that those that the Lord Jesus Christ preserves, He never fails to keep them preserved. Now, what possible application could this have in our life? Well, since you are saved, and since you will always be saved, don't ever act like you're not. Turn to Romans chapter 6. What does it mean to be saved? Well, it means that we have been forgiven of our sins. It means that the penalty of sin no longer applies to us because Jesus Christ paid it. It means that we have eternal life. It means that the power of sin has been destroyed. It can no longer dictate to us what we must do. Sin no longer controls us. In Romans chapter 6, look at verse number 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now this is the fact, when you trusted Christ, you were freed from sin because you were crucified with him. So verse number 11, likewise, Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul was a southerner, you know. He said, you all. And he said, reckon. And the word reckon here in verse number 11 means to take it to account. We have an expression today. Somebody says, that's the truth and you can take it to the bank. And that means that it's absolutely certain and you can, you can bank on it. It is true. So, Act as if it were true. Well, what Paul's saying in verse number 11 is, you are dead to sin, so act like it. Don't act like a lost person anymore. Don't act like sin has control over you. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. But wait, that's only part of the problem, part of the equation. The other half is, but alive unto God. We should not serve sin. We should serve the Savior. Why? Because He saved us. He saved us from that sin. And therefore, we should serve Him. We shouldn't act like we're lost anymore because we're not. 
Ephesians 2 and verse number 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You used to be dead in sins, but now you've been made alive. I suppose it's possible for a live person to pretend that they're dead, but we would say that's awfully foolish. And so it is for a saved person to act like they are a lost person is extremely foolish. We are preserved. We are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, and He will keep us saved, so act like it. We are sanctified. We are preserved. And then the third description from Jude verse number 1 is that we are called. Called. What is the calling here that he's talking about? Called does not mean really only one thing in specific, but really the idea of calling here has, it's a way of just kind of gathering together all that God wants to do for us in salvation into one simple word. So it begins with the call to salvation. And do understand this, if God did not call us, we would not be saved. But thankfully, that call has gone out to all the world. So we can be saved because God calls us to salvation. But that's only the beginning. Because not only are we called to be saved, we are also called to be one day just like the Lord Jesus Christ. The calling of God involves our call to salvation. It involves our call to Christ-likeness. There's specific ways that we can apply the calling of God in our life that uh, we might speak of the specific will of God for us as God's calling. Like, a, a, like I might say, God has called me to be a pastor. That is all-encompassing of the idea of what God has invited me and what God wants me to be. We are called by God. Turn over to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8, verse number 28 is a verse that you may be familiar with. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to His purpose. Wonderful verse that reminds us that everything that happens to us in life is a part of God's plan, part of God's purpose, and God is using it for our good because we are called according to His purpose. Now verses 29 and 30 expand on that idea. What does it mean to be called according to His purpose? For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In this verse, the idea of predestination is linked to not our initial salvation, but to our being transformed into the image of Christ. God has predestined those who trust Christ as our Savior to be conformed to his image. And it says in verse 30, Moreover whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And in those He called, He justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. See, God's calling really is all about us being saved 
and being transformed into the image of Christ. I like the word conformed there. It means to squish into a mold. How many of you have ever played with Play-Doh? All right, you know what it means to conform. You have that little, little um, you know, mold that you have and you squish the Play-Doh in there and then you peel it out and you've got the image of whatever it was in that mold. That's conforming. Every time a potter works with clay and molds that clay into whatever vessel he wants it to be, that vessel, that clay is being conformed into the, the, whatever the image is that the potter wants. You see, what God wants to do is to, through, throughout our life, conform us into the image of Christ day by day. And listen, this is a process. It's not something that happens in an instant. I suppose we might think it would be nice if God could just, you know, zap us in the head and instantly we would be like Christ, but, but it's not, that's not how it works. It is a process where God takes us from one step to the next step, from glory to glory as we are changed into His image. That process of being made more like Jesus. And one day that process will be complete. 1 John 3, 2 says, Behold, or beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. One day we will be perfectly like Christ, and until that day we are to be more like Christ day by day. We are called to be just like Christ one day. So in the meantime... We're to be becoming more like Christ every day. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So let's review. Jude says that we are sanctified. How are we sanctified? Did we sanctify ourselves or does God sanctify us? God sanctifies us. He says we are preserved. Do we preserve ourselves or does God preserve us? God does. So when we come to this third point about our calling to be conformed like Christ, which is the ultimate goal, do you expect it to be us? And do you think that it should be our work that would conform us or God's? God's, right? And here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we find... That's exactly what the Apostle Paul says. Verse 18, But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. This verse is a whole message unto itself. But let me just take a moment here to highlight what he's saying. First of all, it's talking about how we see the Lord right now. The picture we have of Jesus cannot be said to be 100% complete because Jesus is infinite and we are finite. So that's what he means when he says, we behold as in a glass. We see the reflection, but we do not yet see the full reality. But as we behold the glory of God, and that through the Holy Scriptures, it says we are changed into the same image. 
Not we change ourselves, but we are changed. We are the uh, recipient of that action. Someone else is doing the changing. We are being changed. We're changed into that same image from glory to glory. This speaks of a progression from one step to the next and the next and the next. From glory to glory. And then that last phrase, so important, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Because it is the Holy Spirit who changes us. Sometimes it's confusing because we think, well, I thought I had to obey. You do have to obey. But who is it that's prompting you to obey? Who is it that's leading you to obey? Who is it that's teaching you what to obey? It's the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And as we yield to the Holy Spirit, He changes us. That's not a work. For me to simply say, Lord, do with me what you will. That's not a work on my part. That's surrender. That's saying, God, I'm yours to do with whatever you want to do. And so that I can't get any of the credit for what God does in my life. If there's anything good in my life, if there's any positive growth, if there's any good outcome, it's all of God and none of me. You see, your Christian life is begun by faith. And it's to be lived every day by faith. Galatians chapter 3, Paul said, This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? The reason that a Christian burns out is because they are trying to live the Christian life in the power of the flesh. We must rely on the Holy Spirit and submit to His working in our life. Because only then can we be changed. Only then can the calling of God to be changed into the image of Christ be fulfilled in our lives. What are Christians? Well, first of all, Christians are sanctified. They are set apart from sin to God. Second of all, they are preserved. They are given eternal life freed from the power of sin, and they will always remain that way, not through their own works, but through the power of God. And third, we are called. Called not only to salvation, but to be conformed to Christ's likeness. That's what a Christian is. And since that's what a Christian is, that's how a Christian should act. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And sometimes it's, it's good for us just to stop and be reminded of basic foundational truth such as we've seen tonight. That we are who we are, not because of anything that we've done, but all because of what you have done for us. And Lord, I pray that we would not strive to live our life in the power of our own flesh, but Lord, that we would yield to the Holy Spirit, live in reliance upon you and in dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ, every single day, that God, you would work through us and in us and change us. 
God, we have so many rough edges. We need you to smooth off. So, Lord, do that work in us. Make us what you want us to be. And I pray it in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and your eyes closed this evening. I guess if there's one thing I really want to emphasize to you as we close in this time of invitation, it's this. That as a Christian, you are who you are because of what God has done for you. You can't forget that. And you can't live as if it all depends on you because it doesn't. It all depends on God. So live that way. Rely on Him. Let Him have His way in your life. Don't insist that you have to be in control. Don't insist that you have to do the work and you have to be the one who makes the changes. God wants to do it in you and through you if you will let Him. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would impress these truths on our hearts more and more. That every day that we live, we would be more yielded, more surrendered, and more like Christ. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.